Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MZ Car Guys Podcast. You can reach us on all the usual social media at MZ Car Guys. Yep, and uh, also drop us a line at mzcarguys at gmail.com. And if you want to, uh, look us up on anchor.fm forward slash mzcarguys. So Matt and I have an apology to everybody. We went... We we went to Italy, we danced around Italy, and somehow the MZ car guys forgot Lamborghini. We're very sorry. We we uh, we will uh, <clears throat> flatulate ourselves uh, later on. For those who are history buffs, that should make a joke. For those of you who are thirteen, that should also be a good joke for you. Anyways, so, uh, Matt, what do you want to talk about? Uh, Lamborghini. Well, I, I, I know, but I mean, what about, what, what, what do you like about Lamborghini? <laughs> I like that they're ostentatious and they're unapologetic about it. Yep. Um, Every, you look at any car and if, you, if it's a Lamborghini, you're going to say, oh, I recognize that. That's a Lamborghini. Yeah, it's <laughs> if if there's one car company I think that embodies <clears throat> the Italian idea of passion. Um I, I I don't think you can get better than Lamborghini. Um maybe Pagani. But it's it, Pagani's definitely different. Yeah. Pagani is what would I build if I had an unlimited budget and the creativity of like 10 designers? Yeah. And Lamborghini is what happens when you take Pagani and you have it under, you have it uh, managed by Volkswagen. Well, it is now. So I, I, yeah. I think we should start off with uh, Ferruccio Lamborghini yeah. um, because he. He was born in 1916, and Lamborghini didn't come around until 1963. So in that time frame, um, he he was a he was an Italian industrialist. He was one of the ones that was really kind of just building different things. Um, he, uh, I mean, he's most famous before Lamborghini. Uh, believe it or not, for his tractors and some farming implements and stuff like that. Because um, right after World War II, there was an economic boom in Italy, which really kind of was sparked by this um, a lot of industry, but also a lot of uh, farming and agriculture, you know, just kind of getting back over, you know, you know, you know, hey, the World War II thing. Uh, forget about it. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> no, let's 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 be fair too. A lot of that was the Allies got together after World War II and said, "Okay, the the Axis powers lost, and now we're sorry. So we're gonna help. We're, we're sorry for the bombing. So we're gonna help you rebuild. Here's a whole bunch of money. Yeah, definitely helped. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely is. Um, but it's. It's it's interesting because he um, so a couple different things. 
So one of the first things was, is he, he raced once. And uh, so, so he took a car uh, and he modified it. And uh, I, I think it was a, 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 a Topolino modified it, went racing in a Milimiglia, uh, which is a thousand mile race. No, sorry. Thousand kilometer race. Um, and he made it 700 kilometers and um, wrecked. And it was, you know, he, he, <laughs> the show, to talk about the, uh, the, the, the fun of it, um, he, hold on, uh, da, 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 Milimiglia, um, uh, oh no, sorry. It is a thousand miles. Yeah. After 700 kilometers or sorry, 700 miles, uh, he ran into the side of a restaurant. <laughs> I'm guessing it didn't quite take the corner the way he expected. No, probably not. But, um, he, uh, he lost his enthusiasm for racing, um, with that, which is very unusual because you have Alfa Romeo a very storied history, uh, a very storied racing history. Uh, Ferrari, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, but Maserati. With, yeah, Maserati. But with Lamborghini, Lamborghini doesn't have a racing history because the Lamborghinis were never designed to be racing cars on the road. They've always been just designed as the most passionate sports car uh, and, and grand tours that that you know that that you could that you could do instead of being these you know just kind of warmed over racing cars, um, which is where uh, the story from you know he got into an argument with Enzo Ferrari about how a clutch is supposed to feel. And that's really what kind of drove him forward. Um, so it's how Italian is that? <laughs> well, how Enzo Ferrari is that? I mean, let's let's just be honest. Enzo, you make the clutch. It doesn't work the way you should. It it should it should feel like this. No, Ferruccio, you full of crap. It should feel like this. Okay, that I was I the app. That was <laughs> I, 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 You finished it with I I I. Yeah, best uh, accent I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm here all day, tipping waitress. Yeah, exactly. So, um, one of the things that I don't think you can really talk about Lamborghini with, and especially the early days uh, of of Lamborghini. I mean, for the longest period of time. Um, you know, I mean, uh, almost 50 years is uh, the Bizzarini's uh, V12 and, and just the different variations of it. Um, and, and it's interesting because when, when it was first designed, when, when, when Lamborghini wanted it designed, uh, he... He wanted it to produce more horsepower. He actually put in the contract that he that 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 Bizzarini's would would get more money 
for more horsepower that it would produce above and beyond what the Ferrari was doing. A very Italian thing once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the what he designed it was is it had it, it had 360 horsepower, but at 9800 RPMs. Good lord. Yeah. So, which a, a Lamborghini a, a, a V12 can do because it, it naturally balances itself. So it's it's easier to do it that way. Um, but Ferruccio was upset because he's like, no, 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 this is this is not the engine. This is not the the characteristics of an of a Grand Touring engine itself. You know, it, it it's you know. So he got uh, you know really frustrated. He refused to pay. Uh, you know, Bizzarini took him to court and, and went a couple of years. And it, it, it's funny because he was forced to, uh, he was forced to not only accept the engine as, 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 as part of the, con- as delivered part of the contract, but he was also forced to pay Bizzarini. And so now here Ferrari has, or sorry, ooh, geez, uh, here, you know, Ferruccio has, Lamborghini has this V12, and it becomes basically the equivalent of the small block Chevy for Lamborghini for the next almost 50 years, from 63 to 2010. That's amazing. I mean, we'll you look at, Really quickly, we'll, we'll we'll go back to being chronological in a minute. But you look at just the number of iterations that that V12 had in the Countach. Oh yeah, right. Going yeah. from going from two valves per cylinder, carbureted. Then they move the cylinder. Then they move the carbure- carburetors from the top of the engine to the side of the engine. Then they put four valves per cylinder. You yep. know, they upped the displacement at least twice. Uh, yeah, I got up more than that, but yeah, That's what I, said. I did say at least twice because I'm not how per- that on perfect records, but um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's incredible 9,500 RPM. I mean, that's just to give any of you, if any of you guys out there don't know, like the average, you know, Joe Schmo engine out there, red lines is 6,500 RPM, so 9,500 is pretty much what you see on, a, on an old Formula One racer. I've got an even better one for you. 9,800 RPM is a higher red line than the four-cylinder in the S2000. Yeah, yeah, by, uh, hold on, give me a second, by 900 RPM. Yeah. And that's AP1, by the way. Um, that's yeah, because AP2, of course, had like Yeah, AP2 is more like 1,000 RPM. It's just incredible. And this is before they had VTEC or any kind of variable valve timing. So as a result, you know, you've got, what, nothing, right? When the cars that idle or near idles, you've, everything's got to be in the top quarter of the rev range just to get that power out of it. Yeah. Well, just, I mean. Just amazing. Let's see here. You had, I'm going to try to see here. Um, you had one, two, three. I'm getting all this off of uh, Wikipedia. I'm talking about like six carburetors in it. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different generate nine different versions of the V twelve. 
That sounds about right. In 50 plus years, yeah. Anywhere from 3.5 liters all the way up to six and a half liters. <laughs> so, well, so there you go. Part of the reason it had more power is because it had more displacement. The uh, the Ferrari V12 started out at 3.0 liter. Yep, and eventually became 3.8 at its at, at its largest, I believe. Which is so, not very large at all. Um, in a modern engine, uh, you know, your average displacement is roughly half a liter per cylinder. So, or uh, yeah, half liter per cylinder. Um, yeah. So, okay, so 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 Bizzarini got got what he wanted, um, and uh, and Mr. Lamborghini got this engine, and then so what did he do with it? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. So what he did with it is, it, is he put it in um, a 350 GTV, um, which competed directly with the uh, the the 250 GTO um, for the most part. Um, and then just uh, kind of moved on and built a couple of uh, touring cars and so forth. Um, but really, you know, went to the 400 GT. But really things didn't push forward until there was a real kind of surprise at the 1965 uh, Turin Motor Show. Okay, we're gonna pause there for a second, just because this is this this is big. This is like changes the changes the direction of the automotive industry worldwide. Big. It does. Back for a second, so it's guys, it's worth your time to Google something like the Lamborghini 350 GTV when you look at how hideously blocky these cars were. I mean, they had that Italian thing, which was kind of their savior, but essentially the car was. Almost like I could like it had been designed with a ruler. It was not especially good looking, you know, and it you know it was two doors, and it was just sort of there. And then apparently yeah. the '65 Turin Motor Show changed a few things. Uh, yeah, just a few things. Yeah, it kind of uh, sent everybody, put everybody on their head, because they they produced a a rolling chassis. Just a rolling chassis, no body, no, you know, no show of anything like that. No body, really? No, no, no body, no body. You're you're thinking of the 1967 show, which we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to that, but this did, um, th- this did push everything forward. So you weren't incorrect with that. Mr. Matt. So in 1965, uh, Lamborghini at the Turin Motor Show introduced just a regular rolling chassis with the V12, the Bizzarini V12, mounted transversely mid-engine. So, okay. So this is, correct me if I'm wrong, the first concept, essentially the concept concept made flesh is the wrong word, but you know, but basically engineered car with the engine behind the driver in the where the weight balance essentially is 50-50 to the front and the rear. Yeah. And then 
they have it mounted side by side. So essentially the, the engine is essentially almost like on the rear axle. So the, the cylinders turn, it just turns that rear axle and sends the car going forward, right? Yeah, basically. And so from this in 1967 <clears throat> is when they unveiled what, what would come of that design and that of course is the mura and which is still considered one of the most beautiful cars ever designed oh yeah well that's there's a reason jay leno has multiple mirrors um definitely the first supercar ever built absolutely um the uh it's just for, for a bit of context. So the year that the Turin, the 65 year, the 65 Turin Motor Show, the greatest vehicle available in America was a redesigned Ford Falcon with a new body on it that Lee Iacocca helped build that was called the Mustang. Yup. Which by, as stock, as, you know, as a base model, as an entry level car. Was 110, 120 horsepower inline six with what I think was a three speed manual. I'm not sure, but I think it was a three speed manual. Very well could have been. And to go from to go from that to a mid engine V12 supercar. Oh my yep. god. And so wasn't wasn't there something about the design of the car, the mirror, when that when the body finally came out that was like made it special or some like inspiration to it? So the so one of Ferruccio's passions is he loved bullfighting, and there were always um, most of most of the Lamborghinis were named after uh, famous uh, bulls. I think they um, all are. Yeah, the, the, the Gallardo, I believe the Mura is. Yep, um, the, the Diablo. Uh, the Diablo, the Countach. Yep, well, no, the Countach is not. Oh, no, that's right. Sorry. Anyways, so, so anyways, so, so you have this essentially just complete shift and I would like to point out that it wasn't long after this that Ferrari started making mid-engine cars. <laughs> I, would, I would like to point that out. Well, and it was and it was in direct response to Lamborghini because Ferruccio, oh, sorry, now I'm doing it, because um, Enzo was so against it. He was like, you know, we're only building these grand touring cars or, you know, these, yeah. these two plus twos. The sole reason for him is just to, you know, to fund the racing team. He didn't give a damn yeah exactly and 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 with lamborghini it was the complete opposite he couldn't have cared less about racing and was all about the car on the road and the livability of the car um which is why you later on and you know right after the mira because you could have stopped with the mira and just made just mirror 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 mirrors all the time but one of the things that he said was, is he said, you know what? Because he was working with uh, Bertone at the time. And 
the famous designer. Yeah, the famous designer, uh, Bertoni. And he said, you know what? Sometimes people who like to drive a sports car like to bring their family. So he took essentially what was the Mura and made the Espada, which was a grand touring car. Same engine, so, you know, the, 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 the V12. And, um, you know, and... So remind me, sorry, real quick. So on the Espada, I honestly can't remember. Um, did, did, he, did he keep the engine behind the rear seats? No, 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 no. It, it, it became a front engine rear drive. Okay. It, it became a very classic uh, Grand Touring design, you know, front engine, rear drive, okay. and stuff like that. But he was able to kind of that was that that, that was the wonderfulness of of that of that V twelve is that you could switch it around all you wanted to. Hey, let's make it transverse. Hey, let's make it, and um, you know, and and that was also the wonderfulness of uh, of Ferruccio because Ferruccio was, I mean, he was an engineer. You know, there were there were stories of when uh, when production started running kind of behind and stuff like that, or maybe somebody called out or whatever in on the production line, he would jump down there and start helping out on the production line. That's so cool. What a way to inspire your people. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, you know, he, but he loved doing that kind of stuff. You know, um, now they did get into some financial troubles, um, you know, in, in, in the seventies, because in like 73, you had financial crisis. You also had, uh, the oil embargo. Um, and at the exact same time, you also had, um, you know, one of their biggest, uh, biggest markets which was the united states you had the emissions that you know i mean i mean imagine taking this huge v12 and now all of a sudden you have to pass emissions with it mm, yeah exactly same problems happening today yeah. so sorry um so yeah so you've got you know the the, the mura uh, you now start having different versions of the Mira. So you, now you're starting to bring out the S and the SV, you know, which... And that was super... Well, I know the SV is super veloce or, or extra fast. But what was the S stand for? Fast. Okay. So... Makes sense. Yeah, beautiful uh, car. I mean, kind of weirdo headlights, but beautiful car. Yeah, interesting headlights where where it was. Um you know it but it was really kind of cool because when the uh, when the doors opened it was supposed to uh, cuz the doors are pillarless but they have these little kind of upswinged ends at it um so it looks like the bull's horns when the doors are open well that's pretty cool i hadn't thought about that yeah that's a that's a that's a thing a very a very italian thing <laughs> well <laughs> Once again, um, somebody was telling me it might have been you that uh, the 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 curve of as you, in in profile that the Mira curve from the roof bent 
back uh, above around the um, engine compartment was supposed to mimic um, a woman in ecstasy. Uh, no, that was going to get that. That's the, uh, the that's the Diablo. And it's not the roof line. It's actually uh, from the from one wheel well to the other wheel well. There's an arch to it. Well, the Diablo is the next car they made, so not no. jumping too far ahead. No, no. The Countach, Matt, you're jumping over the Countach. I, I thought the Countach was later. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s. I remember the Countach best. Yes. Well, the the Diablo wasn't until the '90s. Okay. So, real quick. So. James May of, of Top Gear and other things has has said that the his translation is that the Countach is is a colloquialism that in Italian that means Yeah, I don't feel that really describes it that well. I would say in, in American English it's more like, oh my god, that's sexy. Yes. It's it's a it's it's supposed to be a an an, an exclamation of of appreciation of beauty. So way to bring it down. Uh, like, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but uh, you know, they actually made an early on the uh, first edition or nearly first edition was called Periscopica because they had this crazy rear view mirror because the car had no rear visibility. Yeah. So they had this weird thing where it was like reflected through a port on the roof above the passenger side. It was some weird. Yeah, yeah. The Countach, yeah, the Countach was available uh, part part of the time. Uh, yeah, with a uh, with, with a periscope. You you kind of looked through uh, some mirrors and stuff like that. So you're actually what you were looking at was actually about four inches lower than your actual field of view. So. Yep, leave it to the Italians to overcomplicate things. Yeah. But, but then you get to, in, in the eighties, you had a lot of, a lot of kids would have posters, with, you know, cars and stuff like that. Some of them had posters of, the uh, the Ferrari Testarossa, which was very obvious why, uh, and some of them would have the Countach and all of its Countachiness. Mm-hmm. I had friends who had both. You know, yes, one, one kid at one, I, one kid at the other. Sometimes one kid at both. He'd be the cool kid. Yeah. So it, you know, and 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 this is after the after the sale of you know Lamborghini. Um, and so after the sale of Lamborghini, uh, mind you for, what was it? Five. Hold on. It's gotta be next to nothing. Oh yeah. It was, for yeah. a while. Yeah. Hold on. I had it right up here. I was just looking at it actually. Um, uh, Yeah. So uh, the in 1980, uh, the, 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 so the company went bankrupt in 78, and in 80, the Mimram, uh, the Mimran uh, brothers, uh, Jean Claude and Patrick, purchased Lamborghini for three million dollars. Um, 
And then they sold it in 87 to the Chrysler Corporation um, for $25 million. Oh, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. And they, um, let's see here. Oh, history of Lamborghini. There we go. Sorry about that. That could uh, something else. Like, once you see one, I've never seen one in person, but I've heard it's just. I, I yeah, I've I've seen one in person, and and I've because I, I saw a uh, uh, I saw a uh, 25th anniversary one. I've and heard it, that's the, I've heard that's the ugliest one. I wouldn't say ugliest, but it oh, definitely no. had the most body stuff on it. Yeah, apparently there's like a front wing spoiler that was completely completely unnecessary, and it just ruined the line of the front of the car like it was it didn't ruin yeah. as badly as the u.s bumpers did but oh i want to forget those u.s bumpers if i possibly can yeah um but, but that was also um because one of the things that you know with the with the espada and with the mura that ferruccio fought against was any kind of crazy wild door thing you know, he wanted just traditional opening doors. That's what it should have. That's, you know, it just keep the door, keep the door open. And evidently, the Mimram basically threw that right out the door with the Kutosh. Because now you have the introduction of the scissor doors. Also now, now known as Lambo doors. Now known as Lambo doors, and you can get Lambo door kits for just about any kind of car. And what's and funny because they almost always look ridiculous, except on a Lambo. Yeah, exactly. I was so, looking at pictures of the Countach earlier today, like you do, and uh, and I realized the the rear wing on that car is possibly one of the best looking rear wings of all time. It is. It just it's appropriate. It fits the car. It it makes it it just it makes the line work. It makes that sort of the way the rear deck area kind of tilts downward. It you know, it takes that line and brings it back up again. The way it's got that sort of almost well, almost like a boomerang look, but but sharp and rigid and the way it works with the whole blocking nature of the car, it's just damn near perfect. Yeah. Well, and then there was the kind of odd cousin of the Countach, and that, of course, is the LM002. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also called the Rambo Lambo. The Rambo Lambo, absolutely. Basically, a, uh, a very cap- weirdly very capable off-road yeah, uh, SUV. Um, or truck, you know, it was available in both. Well, I mean, basically call it an Italian G-Wagon and you're pretty close. Yes, but it had the V12. So did the it G-Wagon. It still had the V12. <laughs> and, and it, it was, yeah, it was just, it was crazy. Um, yeah. Apparently the tires in that thing are very expensive. Yes. Well, there, there. It's it's only for that truck. Yeah, something like <laughs> something like forty grand a set is last number I heard. 
Yeah. So then of course you get to um it you know it's it's uh sold from Chrysler uh to um a company called Megatech uh which is uh Indonesian and Malaysian Ooh, uh kind of Yep. And uh basically for about 40 million dollars um and that's when they introduced uh the Diablo so the Lamborghini Diablo um well sorry so so the, so the Diablo was was produced uh in 1990 um but it was it, it it's what caused you know Chrysler to sell off um you know because it it was just it was such a cost overrun and stuff because they hadn't really done much upgrading of the v12 and so that was that that was when they did all of that and so with the diablo and you know it basically created this whole new look um now the diablo's lines are much more akin to the uh i think it represents more of the mura than than it does the kuntosh absolutely the kuntosh is, it's almost like it's not connected to either of the other any of the other lamborghinis yeah so but um it the 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 diablo is the first car that i ever the the first supercar i ever saw in person um and it was at a place in uh, lake mary florida um I, I think it was called ultimate motors or something like that um and i remember looking at it first off i'm five foot six five foot six and a half on a good day and when i can see the entire roof without standing on my toes or anything like that uh that's a very low slung car um i was allowed to sit in it it was very comfortable it was it was my introduction to a very high level high quality built car and that's when i was told how it was designed um you know with with the with the kind of arch on between the wheel wells of a woman in ecstasy, which is just about the most Italian thing ever. Um, yeah. And, and it was also when it was produced in 1990, it was the fastest car out there. Um, now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was the fastest car. It was, it was the fastest car out there at the time that it was produced. Um, but the, you know, you know, but that was 1990 and I believe, um, yeah. Cause yeah. Cause it, cause it could, it could drive over 200 miles an hour or right at. So, right. So that was, that was the 200 mile per hour race essentially, right? Between 
Any where, Ferrari said the F40 could do 200, but it never actually was measured at 200. And they said that the Enzo, the Enzo model, could do over 200 miles an hour. And they finally got it to do like 201. It was all like right there on that magic bubble or something. Yeah. So, but yeah, but that was 1990. You know, this is 1990 with the with the Diablo. And now, mind you, the the uh, the McLaren F1 would come out not too long after this and take that 202, which was its record, and blow that away with like 241. <laughs> and everybody, else- yeah, and, all, and, all, and the only thing they did to that car to make it hit 240, well, it was over 240. I thought it was 247, but either way, is uh, they did was um, re they re geared sixth so that it wouldn't run out of gears. It would just it would run it would just hit too much wind resistance. Yeah, yeah. It, but just incredible. Yeah. So and then it, um, it was then sold, um, once again, to the Lamborghini or to uh sorry the uh uh Volkswagen. So it was sold to Volkswagen, and that's when they created the Murcielago. Um, it was okay. Answer this for because I've been told by multiple automotive sources. So check me on this because you've got something better over there. That the Murcielago, apparently as it's supposed to be pronounced, that was the last non-VW supervised Lamborghini. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, because it it was good. It was it was um, the 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 R and D for the the, the Murcielago as as I will pronounce it because I'm just that way. You're such an. Um, but it. Uh, yeah. So so the reason the, so the R and D was before the purchase, because um, the purchase didn't happen until. Ah, uh, ooh, uh, around two thousand, roughly. Um, and then there was some reorganization and stuff like that. Uh, eventually, Lamborghini would be put under the Audi Group, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. So it's worth noting, real quick, um, kind of some automotive uh, trivia for you that the Murcielago was the last Italian V12 available with a stick shift and one of the last V12 stick shift cars period Um, I think the only one that beat it was the V12 Vantage that came out a few years ago that was a dog like 7 speed so if that's the kind of thing you're into look at Murcielago they are hot Sorry, I was drinking milk. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 amazing how they they continued for so long. Um, you know, just with a single basic drivetrain and just improving it, improving it, improving it, improving it. Um, not unlike Porsche. You know, with the, with their with their flat 
V, you know, with our flat six. I almost said flat V six, but that that wasn't right. No, there were some Ferrari flat twelves, but uh, no, this this is the flat six. Um, and they and they went. Yeah, Porsche went from a four to a five to finally to a six speed and now to a seven speed manual. Yeah. But anyways, but yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you had the Murcielago, which in, you know, 2005 was punching out over 600 horsepower, you know, out of the V12. Um, but I really want to talk about the the vehicle that was the real, it was the real shift for Lamborghini. Um, and it's it's unfortunate um, because of its mundaneness, um, especially for a company like Lamborghini. But it was necessary for the survival of the company, um, and that, of course, is the Gallardo. It was Lamborghini's first all-wheel drive car. It was. It's it's one of only a very few V10s. Maybe the first. I can't, I'm not sure about that one. But um, and uh, it also was available as a stick shift for a while. Thank goodness. Um, and uh, of all people, Jeremy Clarkson had lots of good things to say about it, uh, especially driving it in the snow. Yeah, it it wasn't a bad car. I I, I want to no, preface it like that. It wasn't no, a lot of the good press that it got, though, to be fair, a lot of the good press that it got was the fact that it didn't break the first week that you owned it. Yes. Here's here's my thing against the 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 Gallardo as a Lamborghini. One, it lacked what all Lamborghinis in my opinion must have and that is a certain a certain flair to it there has to be a certain somethingness to it there has to be an an, an outwardly projected passion a personality a personality the car must have a personality and because it was essentially an Audi R8, you know, for for the most part, um, it didn't have a personality. Audis never do. And, you know, it, it had a V10, you know, and, and I, I personally have never driven one. But... Making something to be reliable doesn't mean you have to give up the the fanfare. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Richard Hammond called it pantomime. Yeah, exactly. So, which is why the Pagani, uh, especially the Zonda, was for the pantomime. Yes. So when they did the guy art now. They they needed the Gallardo. It was this necessary evil because they sold more Gallardos than every other Lamborghini sold combined. 
Well, it is a it is a beautiful car. It, I mean, it is almost almost inarguably a striking car. The Gallardo. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the, the beautiful witch with those Batman uh, Batman eye looking headlights. Yeah, I. Those, you know, with the car, the car's full of triangles. I mean, that was at the time. To be fair, at the time, that was revolutionary in terms of design. Yeah. Well, I just. I don't know. I mean, you know, and all the all the new money bought him, you know, because it was like, ooh, a Lamborghini that's not going to shut me and shunt me into a tree. I'll buy that. Yeah, but where's the passion of that? <laughs> no, it's not. That's why I said all the new money was buying it, yeah. not the automotive. Folk. Yeah. So, anyways, so 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 you have. We 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 then pro- make a shift, and I think a very good shift, because the however you want to pronounce it, I say Murcielago, when it was superseded by the Aventador. Mm, even more triangles. Oh, oh, yes. It, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. The Aventador and also the Huracan, which when I first saw the Huracan, I saw pictures of it and I said, oh, that nose looks kind of weird. And it wasn't until I was at the San Francisco Auto Show that I saw one in person that I said, oh, well, never mind. That actually looks pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful car in person. I would say the only, the only, the, or the only, the biggest criticism I have about the Uricon is that it looks too much like a Garda. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, if, it if, if, does, but it, and side by side you wouldn't you really wouldn't know until you go oh well you know the air intake vents are different or you know the headlights are this shape and yeah and you go so the aventador mm-hmm. so if I, I i call it my super five you have all the money in the world and you're allowed to buy five cars one of which has to be your daily driver. And then the other four can be a collector's or however you want to do it. But you got unlimited money and five cars. And one of my five cars is the Aventador SVJ. Definitely one of the best Lamborghinis ever made. Oh, it is. It is just so sexy and and then the fact that the Aventador SVJ is available in a roadster I mean <laughs> come on so Italian oh to take basically to, it's in, to, to essentially take a race car that is that has been modified for street use and then to make it into a roadster is the most Italian thing ever. But it's so I mean, sexy. I mean, you know, you've got that that SVJ wing, which I think is just gorgeous. It's a great wing. Uh, great wing. I'm looking at a picture of it now, and it's just it's just automotive porn. That that's all it is. Just the thing is, essentially, it fixed everything wrong with the first generation Aventador because the first generation Aventador had massive rear tires, 
decent, kind of decent to undersized front tires and would understeer itself into a tree because they needed to neuter it because Lamborghini knew who was going to buy it. It was going to be guys who wear gold chains on a daily basis who pay for everything with a, with a MasterCard black or sorry, American Express black, right? And they want to be seen in this and they want to rev it on the streets of Monaco at five miles an hour. But then they said, oh, let's make a version of the Aventador for people who actually know how to drive a car. Yeah, it's a track and car. They did. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, it you know, it, it's just absolutely amazing. The, the SPJ stands for Super Veloce Jota, Jota. or Jota. Yeah. And, uh, and essentially it means really fast and then even faster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think somebody described it as super fast and then some. <laughs> I like that. So it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like the, uh, the Shelby, uh, uh, GLHS goes like hell some more. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, but now we get to, <sighs> yes. The Euros, which is yeah. <laughs> uh, so. If, if you've ever it's, seen, Tony Q8 with an Italian accent. Yeah. So so if you've ever seen a uh, like of a football player, and they you know they're they're in their prime, they're working out every day, they're 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 hitting. You know the, the the field, and they're playing the game really well, and they're running it down, and then they go and that type of thing. Now, advance twenty years in the future, uh, and they're still eating as if they're working out every day, and now they're working out about uh, once a week, <laughs> and, and they've kind of you know kind of plumped up a little bit, and. Uh, and that's kind of what it looks like. It looks like an Aventador about 20 years in the future after kind of giving up a little bit on the whole working out thing. <laughs> and uh, uh, it looks like um, it, it actually, in person, it doesn't look that bad. Um, it still has the Lamborghini flair to it. Uh, it has a twin turbo V10. Uh, the rear it looks like a Pontiac Aztec. Uh, look up some photos. Oh, I mean, I'm talking to the listeners here. All right, you go ahead the and keep talking, and I'll look up. Looks like a Pontiac Aztec. Okay. It's the smallest engine Lamborghini has ever used in the country's history, twin turbo V8. The engine clearly came from the. Actually, I think, if I remember correctly, I think the engine is right out of the. Um, Panamera Turbo, actually, um, and a couple of other things. It's it's got that sharp nose on it, but so what? It still only seats five people, you know, and it's almost as long or about as long as a Q7. It's it's got okay, yeah. So the terrain names, right? The terrain switch that's in there is all in Italian, but whoop to do, it just makes it harder to figure out which one is snow. And. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a cash grab. 
and I realize you can say that about the Cayenne, and you can say that about the, you know, this, that, and the other, but, and you can say that about the Ferrari XUV when that comes out. But it's just for, for some reason, when it's Lamborghini and you take supercar styling and you put it up on stilts, it feels like more of a cash grab than the Cayenne or the Cullinan or any of that other stuff that's coming, coming out. Even, even more so than the Bentega, which is blatant. Yeah, I just, it's, you know, the, the year, okay, all right, yeah, it does kind of have a. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Pontiac Aztec. Yes, record. Yeah. Anyways, but it's 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 not a it, to me. It still does what a Lamborghini is supposed to do. First off, it's ridiculously stupidly fast. It is insanely fast. Yes, it, it, I believe it. It actually does hold the record for the fastest SUV out there. Um, okay, but it also, <laughs> fan. There is. A certain out thereness of it. Well, yeah, it's still got the pantomime. Though. The problem is that the pantomime doesn't belong on stilts. I don't know. I think I I, I think it's one of those things that will grow grow over time. Would you do me a favor, actually, while we're doing this, since I still don't have access to a desktop while I'm I'm doing these, and that may not change for two or three months? Would you actually look up the Nurburgring record for SUVs? For SUVs? Yeah. Uh, okay. I never thought I'd ever be typing this into a computer. <laughs> Go ahead and keep talking while I'm doing that. Please. Yeah. So, because at, at last publication, it was the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio, which I think deserves it more in some ways. Um, it's a compact SUV. It's got a Ferrari-based V6 twin turbo. Um, it's It's got that you know, not hunkered down look, but it's got that kind of Julia-esque, you know, kind of look to it where it doesn't look so ridiculous when it's up high. And it just feels like it more deserves the record, if that makes any sense, than kind of this bloated, angular people mover that can go off-road. Yeah. You know, the, I guess the Stealthy Fume seems more honest about it and what it's made for. Because it's just made to go disgustingly fast, whereas the Urus feels more sort of like, "Ooh, look at me! I uh, I can go fast when you want me to." Yeah, but just here to show off. Yeah, Nurburgring Ring Record SUV. Yeah. So. Um. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for this Stelvio. Well, yeah. Um. I I can't find one specifically for. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, cool, because they don't they don't break it down by. We'll just do a control F and type in Stelvio. So the Stelvio. Just control F and type in Stelvio. Yeah, see what happens. And then do control F and type in Urus. Your assistance on wanting to. Say it correctly is <laughs> Merchielago. Anyway, so while while Zach's trying to figure out how to use a computer, even though he's old, um, uh, so the Alfa Romeo Stelvio uh, was a 
751.7. Okay. And then the... I won't make you do it. The Lamborghini. Euros? I know, it makes for high drama. I don't think that they've done the Euros yet. I feel better. Almost like vindicated. The little the little Stelvia that could is still on top. Well, um, it's because I don't think they've... Hey. It's almost like a DNF. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that kind of... DNFs, I mean, that's they haven't started. <laughs> Did not start, yeah. Um, but the that really kind of sums up Lamborghini's history. I mean, I suppose the only thing I would kind of mention, um, and I think we brought it up on the previous Italian podcast as an, as an aside, but the, what, what some Countach enthusiasts will argue is the least attractive version of the Countach, the 25th anniversary edition, is the first production car that Orazio Pagani ever designed. And I think it's fair to say that he's done much better since then. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, you know, it's the, and, 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 and I think we can start kind of just closing this out a little bit. And that is, you know, the, the, the one thing that through multiple owners, through multiple people involved, multiple people in the head of it and so forth and so on, the one thing that Lamborghini has never done now it, it may be a lesser to a point, um, you know, as far as uh, uh, sorry to, uh, of a lesser extent, but they've always maintained their original focus to make the best sports car Grand Tour out there to make a sports car for the road not a racing car that just happens to be, you know, road legal. So that the fanfare is there, the, the excitement, everything, all of that is out there, but it's completely drivable. It's completely livable. And it, in my opinion, best exemplifies the, the, the passion of Italian automaking. What do you think, Matt? It does that very well. And, you know, and, and love them or hate them, you have to admire the fact that they have stuck stuck true to that through thick and thin, you know, and here they are and they're still going strong, even if they are, you know, a, a sub-brand, but that's, that's okay. Many things are in this life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing remains distinctive that I mentioned at the beginning of this is that when you see one on the road, you will always know that's a Lamborghini. Yes, Absolutely. So, all right. Um, I think that'll do it. All right. That's a podcast. All right. Vroom, vroom, Matt.